Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Indie Cider Show. My name is Ken Gaggy, and I'm your host. On the show, I play indie games and chat with the developers, and this week I'm playing the Nightmare Cooperative, which came out on July 17th from Lucky Frame. It's available on Steam and Humble Bundle for Mac, PC, and Linux, with mobile versions coming soon. This game is a turn-based roguelike. It is set on a 9x9 grid where you are exploring dungeons and you are a variety of characters from mages to archers to warriors to ninjas to astral walkers. As you explore the dungeon, there are treasure chests you can open, monsters that will attack you, gold to collect, and artifacts that give your character special power-ups. Each character has a special move, such as the archer's arrows or the miner's ability to break down walls. These special moves require using potions that you find in the dungeons. However, one of the limitations is that all your characters move as a party. So when you push right, all the characters move right, except for those who are facing walls, in which case you can break up the party a little bit based on the dungeon's terrain. Also, when you use the special attack, all the characters who are currently eligible to use a special attack will do so. When you pick up a health potion, all your characters gain additional health. So you really have to think about how to move everybody in the best way possible so that if one character has to move up to get to the exit, the other characters won't be moving up into lava. As long as one character makes it to the staircase on the single-screen dungeon, you'll make it to the next level, and there are 16 levels divided into four worlds. The Catacombs, the Ice World, the Tech World, and the Desert. This game is roguelike in the sense that each level is procedurally generated. No two gameplay throughs will ever be alike. And also there is permadeath. When you die, you are sent back to the beginning. The game keeps track of how many moves you've made. There is a counter that after a certain number of moves, a new enemy spawns, and enemies also spawn when you open treasure chests. So there is a certain risk factor to gaining that reward. I have been playing this game for several hours. I've managed to beat it once, which unlocked some new playable characters for me, which incentivizes me to continue playing it and get my number of moves down, my gold up, although there is an achievement for finishing the game with very little gold if you can avoid it and also to unlock additional characters. If you want to see this game being played, you can check out the Let's Play video that I've recorded to pair with this upcoming interview. You can find that video at IndieCider.net slash YouTube. But if you want to hear just the interview with the developer Jan Sesnick of Lucky Frame out in Edinburgh, Scotland, stay tuned, because here it is. So joining me today is Mr. Jan Sesnick of Lucky Frame Limited, all the way from Edinburgh, Scotland. So I need to start off by saying that I have been playing Nightmare Cooperative, having a great time, beautiful game, and I hate it so much because every time I die, it makes me want to start over and do better. And I've lost hours of this game, and I can't remember the last time I played a game that made me want to just keep going. God damn it. That's totally not what we wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, yes, yeah, so that makes me feel very good. That's a kind of a precisely our, our goal with, I think, this game. <laughs> and who is we? So there's three of us in the frame. Uh, there's me and Jonathan and Sean. Uh, Jonathan does all the coding and most of the des- like sort of game design side of things. This is the Nightmare Cooperative is, is, uh, is sort of the end result of a, a early prototype that he made. Uh, Sean is our artist, designer, all the visual stuff, and I do all the sound and music, and I try to manage things and kind of do all the press and marketing and that sort of things, too. 
So I, I have a lot of questions about what sort of influences you had in making this game, because I see a lot of elements from a lot of other games that I've played, both computer games and even some board games, and they all mesh together really well. But I want to know, like, where did you draw your inspiration for the Nightmare Cooperative? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think you've tried slightly touched on a bunch of them already. Certainly, um, you know, I, I always, I'm slightly hesitant in some ways to talk about it in terms of being a roguelike, but of course it is a roguelike. Um, I'm only hesitant because it's a term that can mean a lot nowadays, and, and people can kind of love it or hate it. Um, but so I think probably the number, the, the top sort of video game influences uh, are things like um, 868 Hack, which is relatively well known, but in many ways it's actually more similar to um, uh, to Zaga 33, that kind of turn-based uh, grid level space, kind of spaced out in terms of levels. Um, yeah, that 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 type of game I think is is really what led to led us to the Nightmare Cooperative. Um, our our twists on it are. You know that you control a bunch of characters all at once. Um, you uh, that it's extremely difficult, which I think maybe sort of Zaga Thirty Three and Eight Six Eight Hack have a little bit of as well. Um, and yeah, and that, and that each of your characters can have different different powers, comes from uh, I guess sort of a dungeon crawler tradition, that kind of thing. Um, but you're also completely right that there's a lot of board game influence, um, which is something that. Certainly, Jonathan and I are really, really into uh, sort of uh, strategy board games. Um, I man, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I guess the most recent one I've been enjoying a lot is Agricola or Agricola, um, which I, I'm not sure how much of that, in terms of game design, has is reflected in Nightmare Cooperative. So I think that's where a lot of the influences are. Now you mentioned some of the old dungeon crawlers, and I see some of that in the animation style, the way. The characters are relatively static as they move from tile to tile, and then they uh, have a different frame of animation for their special attack. Kind of reminds me of the old SSI gold box games like Pools of Radiance or even the old Ultima games. Yeah, I think uh, certainly Sean um, is, is is definitely coming from that world of things. Um, there's also like that comes from a very sort of practical design thing considerations that need to be taken into uh, considerations <laughs> um so like just the idea that like you do really need to show people when a power is available and i think that's a kind of natural design design choice that's been made for a few decades now that so something needs to change with your character and you need to make something look active when uh, before it was passive in some way so i think we as a, when you're designing a game like this you end up forcing yourself to make the same decisions that people made in previous similar types of games and it's it's really exciting because we can look back at those as influences and see what they did and and see okay how can we how can we borrow little elements of that and it's also like a, it's it's a nice feedback when you're playing the game to make a movement and then see oh wait now my archer can shoot but my miner is doesn't have any anything he can mine so should i do one more move or should i wait um it's it's just kind of a nice it, it again it, it adds to the, the feel of the game i think now you said that this game is being described as a roguelike but that's a term that i have discovered has a lot of different meanings for example in the most recent episode of this show I was playing a twin stick shooter like Robotron, which <laughs> which some people called roguelike. So what what in your definition constitutes a roguelike? Yeah, I mean this is the thing. It's like such a 
it's it's such a weird argument this whole thing because more and more games have been getting described like roguelikes uh and i think i think it's funny because i feel like in a lot of ways what we should actually be saying is that it that certain games share uh, like sort of have have certain rogue-esque qualities <laughs> which um so uh, like a twin stick shooter i can imagine that probably the roguelike element of that was that it was that the levels were randomly generated or that um the uh that there was a, a sort of a permadeath system so that you started from the very beginning of the game every time and both of those certainly are what i think of as very important elements of of a of, of what i would call roguelike design um so in which case you have games like don't starve which is like okay totally a roguelike because you're starting from scratch every single time and you're building stuff with what's around you and the levels are totally randomly generated um but then there's a whole other kind of you know there there are a number of other design choices that people can take or not that um that that could make something defined as roguelike i think um some people have, have twigged uh, in terms of the Nightmare Cooperative that it's it's very turn-based. You know, in, you can literally walk away from the game in between turns and come back an hour later. And um, so it's it's super com- contemplative, which I think is what leads it to that board game feel. And in, and in some people have twigged that that's in some ways even maybe perhaps more purist roguelike not that we care but i think in some in some ways like that's that is what the original rogue-esque games were uh was that that super turn-based thing so i think we are in terms of nightmare cooperative the things that make it a roguelike are that all the levels are random gen um randomly generated uh so it's different every time you play um there's sort of chapters in terms of the, the 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 levels um there it's permadeath so that if you lose all your characters you're 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 dead and that's your score and you start over from the beginning again and uh what if i missed i probably missed some other element of it that makes it look like too but there you go well as you may have inferred from my reference to pools of radiance i've uh i grew up on these kinds of games and i was playing the original rogue you know 30 years ago oh wow. and this game this game seems to have a lot of the similar elements one that would be missing would be maybe the fog of war where you can see that there might be a room somewhere, but you don't know what is in it or what its outline might be until you actually get there. And you might say that Nightmare Cooperative has that in the sense that you're going from room to room and you don't know what's there until you get there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's that's an interesting thing. It's really interesting. We we played around with it um, in a couple different types of designs that we were like early, early, early prototypes. Yeah, and then instead we 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 hit on this kind of. Uh, sort of stairwell level system. So the idea being, you don't know what's in the next level. There's interesting other things we played around with as well. We played around with the um, uh, eight six eight hack style. Um, like, uh, if you play eight six eight hack, when you get to the end of a level, the next level is generated, but all of the enemies that were on your the level you were just playing are superimposed on the next level as well so you have this amazing thing where you kind of know what's coming up but there could be all sorts of other stuff as well so that's an interesting middle ground and we we or or that's an interesting other extreme and we sort of picked a middle ground in between the two um and part of that is to do with screen constraints and and also and, and technical stuff but ultimately it's a uh yeah, it's it's a bit of a one of the design things that we decided to move away from from the original rogue style so how long did the development of this game take? Um, I think uh, Jonathan made the first... So Jonathan made a, a, um, 
a, a, a really kind of wonderfully rough prototype that you can actually still play on his itch page. I think it's linked from our, uh, from our website. Uh, that was in, I, th- I think February, something like that. We sort of spent a, a few days on it. I made some music for it and Sean kind of t- tweaked some graphics for it and stuff. Um, but we basically mostly you just used prototype graphics. And uh, so, yeah, once we had made that, we kind of thought, okay, well, let's, let's turn this into a game. So I guess that's five or six months ago in total. Now, when I was describing this game to a friend of mine and how it worked before I even showed it to him, he assumed that this is something I was playing on my iPad. And Lucky Frame has made other iOS games like Wave Trip and Bad Hotel, but this game is for Mac, PC, and Linux. How did you choose to release it on those platforms and not mobile? Um, well, we are working on the mobile version as well, um, so it's not going to be exclusively Mac and PC. Um, the reason we went first on Mac and PC is, well, there's a number of reasons. Partially because I, I think in some ways it's easier to release first on PC. as a, From a developer standpoint, you don't have to worry about like as much about um, different types of devices and um, uh, getting uh, passing submissions from Apple or less of a concern with Android, but still a, a, some somewhat of a concern. I guess the devices thing is more of a concern with Android and passing submission is more of a concern with Apple. Um, also, I think if you release a game first on mobile, it can be quite hard to release then to follow up that release with with a PC release. Um, we certainly found that with Bad Hotel, um, and yeah, so there were just a sort of a number of concerns. And also, when we're when we're when you're testing, it's so much easier to test a PC version because um, you can just you know, we're building it in Unity or whatever, but you can just hit build and play it, and you can play it for as long as you want. And when you're building it for specialized mobile devices, you have to build it on a device. You have to then load it, install it on the device, and it's just it just adds a kind of step between the like test making of things and testing of things. Um, so since we had been since we knew we were going to be testing on PC and and building it on PC first, we just thought we'd release it first on PC and then work out the all the little small changes we have to make to release it on mobile. What challenges have you found going from mobile to desktop? Does the game gain a sort of a stigma of being a casual game that people then don't want to pay bigger bucks for to play on a desktop? Yeah, I think that's the biggest one, really. I mean, um, it's so funny. Like, there's uh, It doesn't matter how much extra effort you put into making the P3 version. You can change all sorts of things, and then people will just be like, oh, this, I saw this on iPad. It's just a stupid port. You know, and it's like... It's so weird. <laughs> like, I, I, there's this uh, there, stigma is absolutely the word. There is definitely a stigma. Um, whereas to me, I kind of like I get excited when I see a game that has been on mobile released on PC because I'm like, oh, nice. Now I'll actually be able to enjoy this game. <laughs> you know, it, that's that's maybe a little bit uh, um, flippant because obviously there are great mobile games, but in a lot of ways, it's nicer to play on a computer. Still, I think. So yeah, it's. I think there is a big stigma, um, and then also it's just like, I think it's much harder to translate user interface stuff. It's much harder to go from touchscreens to PC than from PC to touchscreens because when you're designing something primarily for mobile, you you automatically think about swipes and pinch to zoom and scroll like flip scroll and all that kind of stuff. Whereas if you're designing for PC, you're instantly thinking about clicks and and mouse and or mouse clicks and keyboard taps and those kinds of things translate quite easily into touchscreen whereas vice versa it's like it's a little bit harder i think 
Do you have a release date in mind for the mobile version of this game? No, no release date precisely in mind, but we're working on it uh, quite literally as as we speak. So it shouldn't be too long. Would you say 2014? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely 2014. Definitely. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit more about the gameplay itself. Uh, I've developed a couple of strategies that over my many hours of play. Uh, one is that when I have a large party, I just try to get one of them to the staircase, and then I let the rest of the party explore the room a bit more. So that way, if they die, I at least have one person who's making it to the next level. However, the downside to that approach is that I'm splitting up my party, and the party that members that remain behind are weaker for it, and thus they're less likely to make it to the next level. Yeah, there's also another another um, downside to that, uh, which it is it is um, you you can just about get over. But the if uh, picking up potions and hearts applies to everybody in your party who is alive, who is avail- who is still in the room. So if you have uh, if all of your if all of your party need uh, health, for example, and you get one person to the exit and then pick up the health, that character doesn't get the heart. So it, it does help to keep everybody on the level while you get the, because every level has one heart and two potions, right? So, if, oh man, I'm giving away too much info here. This this should just be for somebody's future Wikipedia article. But uh, I, anyway, I'm just giving away a little little tidbit of, info, of, of, of trivia there. And if, uh, and if you get one character to the exit before those are picked up, then they don't have the opportunity of getting them. So in, in some ways, there's an advantage to keeping all of the characters that you have in the same level for a little while but yeah you're right because then it it can be you know every character almost every character is useful in uh, actually actually i'd say pretty much every character has a has a usefulness that that can be lost if if they exit the level too early do you have a favorite character you know it's so funny it changes constantly and i think all three of us while we were developing it it was just like it was a constant discussion because uh, I don't know. Have you un- have you unlocked any of the extra characters? I don't know which ones I should tell you about because there are f- there are f- three or four. I don't remember four. I think that are that come locked with the game. I have the Astral Walker and the Miner at the least. Okay, so you finished the game. Yes. Oh wow. Okay. Well done. And the Miner. Uh, that's from one of the treasures. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you've done all right actually. The um yeah. So the uh I I the the Miner is a really interesting one actually because he doesn't you know it's so easy to prioritize um attack like attack specials you know like the warrior and the archer and the mage and stuff um but actually in the end game um particularly towards the last world the miner can be really 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 exciting uh, or really useful um in terms of tunneling through to the exit uh because the enemies aren't expecting the, the monsters are obviously expecting the walls to stay there. And so their paths are being done accordingly. But if you can use several of uh, several minor specials in a row, you can actually get to the exit really quickly, which is kind of the primary concern at the end of the, at the end of the game. So I really like that. Uh, speaking of monsters, is there any way to counteract the poison in the desert world? Uh, oh, oh, oh man. I think, should I be giving away this info? Um, Yes. <laughs> okay. You don't have to tell me what it is. I'll figure it out, but it's good to yes, know. Yes, there is. Uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I haven't quite figured out the use for the priest yet. Maybe he has something to do with it. I'll look into that. Ah, uh, now. Oh, man. <laughs> now, now we're talking obscure trivia. I, I remember us discussing that as a thing. 
And whether, yeah, so that's worth, that's worth testing because I don't actually remember. <laughs> but there is, yes, there are ways around the poison, yes. I know, speaking of all these different character types, what is with this game's sense of humor? It's incredibly dry and subtle. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. It, it ties into a, um, a ridiculous Lucky Frame tradition um, of uh, sort of terrible, it's sort of a mix of sort of socialist cynicism and dad humor, uh, I think is probably the, uh, the, 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 the combo that marks out a luck, like the writing in a Lucky Frame game. Yeah, somehow. Well, so the, a lot of the, the the backstory that, which is only really vaguely hinted about in the game, is that the uh, these kid these your, these uh, cooperative members have been recruited by the the village council, and the village council has been uh, is very corrupt and has been um, losing a lot of money and, and wasting the money on, on public works projects, some of which may include monuments to the previous cooperative members. And they're in a, in a sort of a hole in terms of the, the interest they have to pay on the loans. And so they need gold, uh, and, and they need, and so they're recruiting members to go in and become a part of the nightmare cooperative and bring back gold for the village uh, with the sort of subtext being that the, the um, you'll go through and and you'll lose all sorts of friends and you'll you'll see all sorts of horrible things and you'll barely make it out alive and then the 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 village council will will uh, will fritter your money away on um, on on pointless vanity projects and I think uh, I I um I uh, I really like Scotland <laughs> um, and I really like living in Edinburgh um, but Edinburgh is uh, a city that has a very long history of um, extremely wasteful public uh, spending and um, borderline, uh, well, we could definitely say uh, public mismanagement of, of, uh, of funds. So it's, I think I certainly took a fair amount of, um, of, uh, of inspiration from my adopted hometown. <laughs> Well, I hope that the game is well received in your adopted hometown. <laughs> well, the city council, as far as I know, are unaware of this game. So, uh... <laughs> so what is the future of the Nightmare Nightmare Cooperative? As far as uh, amount of time I've spent playing it, I've definitely gotten my money's worth when I bought it from Steam. But at the same time, sixteen levels might be considered fairly short. If you're good at this game, you might be able to finish it in only twenty minutes. So, do you think there might be additional features or levels or bug fixes coming out soon? Man, I'd love to see a twenty-minute speed run. Um, yeah, the yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's at the moment it's definitely tuned to be sixteen levels that are very hard, and we're kind of hoping that the majority of players take quite a while to figure out how to beat it. But that isn't really totally enough um, for us. I think uh, at the moment we're concentrating pretty strongly on taking the game as it stands and making a mobile version. Um, but from there, what we want to do is add content for one thing. So we have a bunch of ideas for new, particular char- particularly character types and um, uh, some of the passive pickups like the, um, the vampire fangs and stuff like that. We have a few uh, other ones that we want to put in. But the other thing we've been talking about and we really want to do, what we're hoping to do after the mobile version, is a puzzle mode. So we, instead of having, so in addition to having the random gen version uh, of the game as it exists now, there would also be designed 
puzzle levels or series of levels that we would make. Um, and then there would be high score lists on them. So uh, we could then design a kind of a game that everybody is, a version of the game that everybody is playing that's identical for everyone. And I think that would give it a lot of depth because um, we could then just make as many levels as people want to play. Um, and then people can go back and try to beat their scores on them. And maybe even offer a level creator for fan edited content. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a thing we've done. We did that with Wave Trip, and it was loads of fun. Um, and I'd really like to do it with this. I mean, even if it's just like, I can't imagine us making a particularly um, user friendly level creator. But uh, I mean, maybe it's just like the thing with level creators is that that's what that's what takes time, right? Is designing it so that anybody can use it easily. I really like the idea of just making available the level creator that we're going to use to make the levels and then just have people be able to use our own programming system basically to make levels so yeah it's that's something that we've thought about and talked about i'm not sure how we would implement it but i'd really like to yeah well sounds like i'll be playing this game for some time to come then excellent (laughs) i hope so i'm really glad to hear that you keep going back to it what's your high score oh gosh i think it's uh I think my high score is somewhere around 700 turns and maybe 60 gold. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I was realizing today that uh, I'm the last of uh, the Lucky Frame trio to still have a high score on the global high scores list. It's kind of embarrassing. We're, we're getting pushed off. And I'm just barely hanging on. In fact, as of this afternoon, I might be. I haven't checked in a few hours. Maybe somebody's beaten me. It's a little bit, <laughs> a little bit ridiculous. That was with 90. Yeah, I, every time I try to push it, like, again, today, I've had three of these games in the past couple of days where I've tried to push it and get a few more, and I die on the last level. <laughs> so, yeah. what's, what's embarrassing to me is that I think my first game after I beat it, I started over to try to do better, and I died on the first level. Oh, uh, that's classic, though, isn't it? That's like <laughs> <a good> <laughs> oh, well. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jan. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you for giving us this inside look at the Nightmare Cooperative. I'm obviously having a great time playing with it, and I hope other people can see that in this video and check it out. My pleasure. It's really good to be here. Thanks so much, Ken. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. This has been Indie Cider, a Game Bits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net.